Maybe not from that, so... Yeah, yeah, the weather is slowly breaking. Kathy and I were able to take a hike on a new location we had not been to, and, um, you know, uh, we've, been, we've been also uh, kind of um, watching this hunting show, you know. Uh, we don't, I don't hunt, but I've been watching this hunting show, so we use the word glassing now. We've been glassing for, you know, we want to glass for birds and deer and other stuff like that. So I hope you're enjoying... I really do. I hope you're enjoying creation because it displays the splendor of God. It displays the splendor of God, and um, it's a beautiful thing. Well, hey, we are in Hosea, uh, so if you haven't turned there yet, please go ahead and turn there. We're in chapter 2. I'm going to read it here for, in a moment, uh, but um, I, I just want to uh, remind us that We're in a a book of the Bible that you probably don't necessarily read to your children at night. Just saying. Uh, That with the Song of Solomon. Um, Just way too many questions maybe at that young age. But this book is a grand demonstration of God's, uh, well, can I say it? Because we sang it. Reckless love. It's a grand demonstration of the links that God goes to to redeem his people. And um, a couple of things I want to remind us of is when we read Scripture, uh, Scripture is not singular. Um, as, uh, as some f- friends, mentors that are distanced from me, not close to me, would say, it's more of a y'all than it is you. And so it is about the community and not about your individual uh, as much. Yeah, you're individually saved, but you're saved for a community and a kingdom and a family. And so when we read through, especially the Old Testament, we must uh, really kind of grapple and grasp that concept that uh, God is dealing not just with one singular person, but he is dealing with a community of people and drawing them to him. So all that said, uh, we are not going to read all of Hosea 2, but I will be in Hosea 2 completely. Uh, I know this is a little more calisthenics than we often do on Sunday mornings, but would you stand? It's just a wonderful way to posture our bodies in order to honor God's word. Starting in the 14th verse of chapter 2 of Hosea, 14th verse. Therefore, I'm reading out of the NIV here now. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her Lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them. In that day, with excuse me, with the beasts of the fields and the birds of the uh, birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, bow and sword and battle, I will abolish from the land, hmm. so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and in in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and will acknowledge 
and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and the olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. And I will plant her for myself in the land, and I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people, and they will respond, you are my God. Please be seated. (laughs) We find in the pages of this prophet's manuscript a God who demonstrates love beyond our wildest imagination or recklessness through a particular commissioning in marriage, no less, This is not just any marriage, as we walked through last week, but it is the marriage of a prophet to a woman who is a prostitute and will continue to be lured away by less loves. As a parent, (laughs) this would not be the relationship you would encourage your children to seek out, whether for dating or marriage or even to go to prom. Whether a son or daughter, you would not commend this relationship to someone who will commit adultery. I mean, you know what will happen. (laughs) Or infidelity, you know what will happen. Or to be ungrateful in their response to him or her. Yet, this is what God tells Hosea to do. And we must ask the question over and over again, why? Why does God ask Hosea, this prophet, to do this? To demonstrate his holy love to his people and to us. To illustrate the level, also to illustrate the level of betrayal and waywardness of Israel from him. And our waywardness from him also. So in chapter 1, we read that Hosea marries Gomer and then conceives and has children. You can go back and read that chapter. These children she gave birth to were given names, and uh, some of them were fairly normal, but a couple of them were, one was fairly normal, but one of them was, uh, or two of them were kind of out there. It's like if we have children, uh, whether a boy or a girl, we probably would not name our children Jezebel or Nimrod. It just would not be the things that we would possibly do. Yet I have heard some grievous names. Seriously. My wife's a teacher. I've heard some sad names given to children in retribution to those around them. It is incredible. And you think, really? But here God is. He tells Hosea, look, I have a few names I want to give your children. You, uh, you and Gomer... Do not get to name your children. And he tells us why he names them to reflect the consequences of Israel's disobedience to the covenant relationship established between he and them. It's incredible. So if you have uh, chapter 2 open, you can turn over to chapter 1. These are the names that, of Hosea's children to convey the depth of si- the sin of Israel. Can you imagine? Yet? We can't, we can. Lo Rum Hama. This is a daughter of uh, Hosea and Gomer, and the name is this not loved. 
not loved because God says, I don't love them. Lo and me, was, this was a son and his name was to be not my people. No longer would they be identified with God. Can you imagine a statement as strong as that? But that is what is being said. These names, we have to kind of let them sit in us a little bit. How did Israel even get here? I, I think we have to ask the question because the path and pattern of people finding their way into sin and they're distancing themselves from God and his ways is always the same. It's always the same. See, God had blessed Israel with material prosperity. And in this material prosperity, and some of you who may be more aware of Old Testament scripture realize this is what was prescribed and what was going to happen in material prosperity and the blessing Uh, Israel um, just kind of slid into spiritual complacency. Have you ever been there? Everything's just going good. It's going dandy. And then all of a sudden, you just realize, whoa, where'd God go? God didn't go anywhere. You did. It's always the case. God doesn't move. Their spiritual complacency moved them away, and they began to go into full-blown what he calls adultery and prostituting themselves to other things and other places and other other things in the world. I mean, this this is the God who rescued these, not these very people, but the people from Egypt from slavery, from bondage, and what do they do? They are blessed and free, and they slide back into slavery and bondage because, well, that's what complacency does. I think as Hosea 2.13 really summarizes the front part, if you will, of Hosea for us. He says, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself out with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, me, she forgot declares the Lord. God's a gracious, loving God, but he does not allow rebellion to go on forever. He will not, and he does not. So he sent Hosea to preach this message and illustrate this message with his own life. And in God's ways, this is the love of God, He doesn't distance himself from them. He always provides a way so that they can confess, get forgiveness, and be found in repentance. There is always a path back, but he will not let sin go on. There are consequences. There are consequences to our sin. So let's just walk through a few of these that are named uh, cons- the, the sin that they find themselves in and talk about them for a few moments before we come to the last portion of what we read. I want you to know that uh, adultery should probably be the other way around, but idolatry is equal to adultery in this, in this passage of Scripture, and it always is. God speaks to the children 
and tells them to rebuke their mother. You can see this in Hosea 2. And for their unfaithfulness. Israel was guilty of worshiping Baals, the other G's around us in culture. They were guilty of this. And whenever there was a drought or a famine, the Jews repeatedly didn't go to God, but they would go to the little G's. They would go to science, they would go to medicine, they would go to politics. You get my point. Instead of prostrating themselves before God and saying, oh God of heaven and earth, the one who waters the earth, would you give us rain? They instead thought they could conjure this up on their own. He says this in Hosea 2.5 to illustrate their adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. And since the people were acting like prostitutes, God would treat them like prostitutes, and if you read further, will shame them in the public square. And that's exactly what transpires as we read. When we love the things of the world instead of God first and foremost, we are guilty of idolatry as well. This is what transpires. While in our culture we tend to personalize our sins, this is what I was kind of referring to before, and we want to think that it does not have much impact on the people around us, it has tremendous impact on the people around us. I'm not sure we should be so quick to dismiss uh, you know, these, uh, this understanding of these tears of confession in our, in our private and personal communion as only being personal. They have effects that ripple through the community. And God sees that as people who carry the name of God and the weight of God in community as a nation, as a kingdom, or a family. However you determine that, we bear the weight of one another's dismissiveness of sin. We wear it. You may ask, wait, really? How do we do that? We wear it because of what the complexion of the kingdom and the family looks like and how it responds. See, the names of these children bore the weight of the consequences of Israel. That's the message here. Did they do anything wrong? Absolutely not. They did nothing wrong. They were born, conceived in prostitution, but they bore the weight of what came before them. Friends, we have much to think about on that one. So if we are to bear the name of Yahweh as they were called to bear the weight of Yahweh, God, who rescued them from oppression and gave them freedom and poured their blessings out on them, how do we respond? Well, they didn't respond so well. In fact, Scripture says that they responded with ingratitude, with ingratitude. Instead of thanking the one true God for his blessings, food, and clothing, the nation thanked the false gods around them for them. Yep, they're rocking it out. <laughs> it's as simple as this. Do, do you, I mean, were they saying thanks to God for what they had been given? I mean, it may go a little bit deeper than that, but not so much. 
Was their life out of sync? It says this in Hosea 2.8. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used not for me, but for the Baal. So say, look, they, they're not even grateful for what I gave them. They're not even grateful for the blessings that I poured out. God has every right to abandon his people. Think about this. He has every right to go, Poof, handle it on your own. Good luck. <laughs> right? But instead, out of love, he chose, as scripture says, as a father disciplines his children, he loves them. He disciplined them. One, one of the first steps of, toward rebellion, uh, toward the rebellion against God is the refusal to give thanks for his mercies, his provisions, and blessings. And what does God do? He walks toward them in it. He doesn't walk away from them. So friends, we, we may not have a, a, a Baal God set up in our, our kitchen or in our backyard or in Ashopole. That would be more appropriate in our, our backyard. But what are our false gods? Where do we go chase to? before we acknowledge on our knees before God, him, him and first. I, I've alluded to them earlier. Are they our politics? Our science? Our medicine? And when we seek to them, so this may give you a clue of if we have, uh, if they become false gods for us, and I get it, we have varying levels of this in our lives, and there's some other mitigating things. But, so when the doctor tells you, hey, uh, we got we to gotta do this, or this is what I found out from the blood test, and, and you are a believer, you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus uh, here this morning or on this morning, this may not follow for you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, do we get all ramped up inside? Or do we go, oh, wait a second, I... I have a God whom I trust with my life, with every part of my being, and I'm going to look to him. And if I can't find it there, so this is why the community comes to play. If I can't find it in myself, who's the shout out I go to? Is it the next doctor or is it my friends who say, look, we got this, we're praying for you, join us, lean in, let's remember what God has done. I mean, do we have friends that are with us? that can help us in this way. You see, if we don't, I'm fearful of this emergence that is, is getting larger and larger in our day is this self is taking center to anything else around us, that we, we have to take care of us. And in some way, shape, or form, that's a level of humanism. If God does not reign first in our conversation piece, doesn't, they don't thank him, they're not praying to him, they're looking to other places. I think the question comes to us, what about us? See, our lack of attributing every good work from God, to, from God that we get from him only leads us deeper into the woods of our idolatry and, yep, into infidelity. God's people had been unfaithful God is consistently faithful and we are faithfully inconsistent. The best of us, that is true. We, only can, are, only, we are only consistent at letting him down and he can t- consistently, what's he do? Come underneath us with his reckless love and continues to go, hey, I love you. I'm for you. 
And God's people were guilty of consistent hypocrisy and infidelity. We'll get into those in, a few, in, in the next few weeks, how they bore themselves out. But God would no longer put up with their unfaithfulness. As we read before, and I'll read it again, Hosea 2.13, I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself out with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she, for, she forgot, but she, me she forgot, excuse me, declares the Lord. So it's an incredible thing, and I find this rather interesting that people still in, of, the, of that culture still did the Hebrew festivals. They still went through the rituals. But the rituals had no meaning. Their hearts were given to the other things around them. They went and showed up as if it was a social club. And then their hearts went to other places. And God says that will no longer work. Now, if you think this is only a theme for this prophet, check out Isaiah, check out all of them. Because they all have the same message over and over again. Whoa, your festivals mean nothing to me. Your heart is what I want. Rend it to me. He would take away their blessings and abandon them for their sins. For one of the greatest judgments God can inflict on any people is to have them, have them, let them have their own way. Think about that. Think about that. Just go your way. Have your way. God is holy and will not just permit, permit his people to enjoy sin for long or to live on the substitutes therein. D.L. Moody once wrote this, the church is full of people who want an eye for the world and the other for the kingdom of God. Therefore, everything is blurred. One eye is long and the other is short. All is confusion. When the spirit of God is on us, the world looks very empty and the world has a very small hold on us and we begin to let go of our hold of it and lay hold of the things eternal, this is the church's need. And think about this. This is not today. This is moody. A while back, this is the church's need today because I think that need is every day, the church. Wow. Often, this is our problem as people of God. We claim to know him and love him, but we continue to pursue avenues of sin and personal pleasure and self we are guilty of idolatry, ingratitude, and infidelity. And we, as individuals found in Jesus, all we have to do is look to Jesus, look to God. And he, he gives us our worth and our value. It's in him as sons and daughters of the living king. It's just like that simple chorus that we sing from time to time and was definitely on the rotation list when I was a kid. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right? This is the incredible thing, though, that even in the deepest part of their sin, Israel is being pursued by God. That's what we read earlier He's pursued by God. And if you read Genesis, or Genesis, if you read Hosea 3, you'll see this pursuit. You'll see it in Genesis 3 too. But uh, in Hosea chapter 3, you see this pursuit that he tells Hosea, and I'm not going to read it. You can go there. He tells Hosea what to do. He says, go, go to where her lovers are and go and buy them back. 
15 shekels. Can you imagine? Buy them back. Buy them back. God's heart is the same as what he instructed Hosea's. We are pursued by God because God is love. There is nothing that's it's out of his realm not to continue to pursue us all the time, everywhere, right? He's looking for the, if he's standing on his porch, he's looking for his son to come home or his daughter, and he runs to them. And we see this here by the statements of I will statements. Now, I want to I put this a little bit into a context that we maybe can rest a little bit in, in what God can and will do for us and those around us is that he wants us to rest in him. A lot of times, because we're Americans, we think it's, it's, if it's got to be, it's up to me, right? We've got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And I love these statements because it's not about it's not about Israel doing something. It's about Israel being something desperately. He says this to Israel, I will win her back, but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. Oh, God doesn't force people to love him, but he instead allures them or he wins them through his gift of grace and love. It's an incredible thing, right? Romans 2 reminds us that it's his kindness that redeems us. I remember distinctly, I had to write it out just recently, 1985, it was August, God's grace was so palatable to me. I I couldn't do anything but to, to follow Jesus. I mean, it was so palatable. It was so embracing. I will win. Like, oh, God, yes. He wasn't there going, hey, you sinned. You did this. You did that. It was his love that pulled me back. He says in verse 15, I will return. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. What you see is trouble He sees vastly different. It's a doorway to God's next for you. God will give herself to me there as she did long ago. She will give herself to me there as long as as she did long ago when she was young and when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. The incredible thing, if you're catching this, remember we talked about this a week ago, the covenants, he keeps going back to the covenants and he's going back to them. He's reminding them, look, remember number one, Exodus 20, right? No other gods, I will, you're not gonna have anybody else. This is what I want for you. The Lord guarantees the return of their land or restoration of their prosperity. Turning what was trouble into something good and hopeful. Just as God rescued his people from Egypt and made a covenant with them, a day is coming when he will rescue them in that time and make a new covenant with them. He says this, I will remove. He says, when that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband and my master and I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips. You will never mention them again. 
I can't help to recall the, the things he wiped from my lips, literally wiped from my lips when I said, oh, Jesus, yes. It may have not been bales per se, as you might think of them, or we might think of them in the biblical sense, but they were standing in the way of Jesus' divine love. I mean, my love for him and his love for me. God declares an end to this idolatry of us amongst his people. We'll have a new vocabulary and no longer will it be of the culture, but it will be and is of his kingdom. He says, I will marry reasons not quotes is I just kind of felt like that one worked a little bit better God's love of Israel result in her yielding to him once again and entering into that covenant relationship that he so desired and established before and this new covenant will include a restoration of creation and a peace among the nations can you imagine no bow no arrow no sword I mean just the laying down of just the feeling of that kind of tension and animosity, right? Wow. He says, I will answer in verses 21 and 22. These verses describe a cosmic conversation in which the Lord speaks to the heavens and the earth and they respond to each other, bringing forth blessings on God's people. In that day, I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the sky as it pleads for clouds. What an image. And the sky will answer the earth with rain. Oh, and then he says, I will plant. Uh, the word and the name that was given to the first child between Homer and Go- uh, Gomer was Jezreel. And it's God sows or God's plants. It's the image that God is sowing his people in their land and, and the way the farmer sows seeds and it'll once again start to grow. And they'll respond, oh, you are you are my God. Does love act like that? Does love act like that? Does love take valuable money and, sp- and spend it on a worthless woman that we, he commends Hosea to do in Hosea 3? Uh, friends, Possibly not in this life have you experienced much of that. But it is God's desire that you would, you would experience it. We often, as his very people who love him dearly, and I believe that is to be the case, spurn his love and squander his resources. But he still loves us and he still provides for us. The incredible thing that I want you to capture is the character of a God who would come after you in, such th- in this way. Donald Barn- Barn- Barnhouse writes this, the pursuing love of God is the greatest wonder of the spiritual universe. We leave God in the heat of our own self-desire and run from his will because we want so much of, to have our own way. We get to a crossroads and we look back in pride thinking we have outdistanced him Just as we're about to congratulate ourselves on our achievement of self-enthronement, we feel a touch on our arm and turn in that direction and find him there. He says, my child, he says with great tenderness, "I I I love you. And when I saw you running away from all that is good, I pursued you through a shortcut that love knows well and waited 
for you here at the crossroads. So have we, in this day, torn ourselves from God's love? Have we placed ourselves in a, in a place with other things that are, well, distancing us from his love and grasping his great love for us? Hosea 2.23 says this as we move into our next steps. At that time, I will plant a crop plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will show love to those I called not loved and to those I called not my people. I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. You know, the interesting thing and the incredible thing is God's the one that is into the name change game. Did you know that? He's the, he's the one that, that places new names on us. And I kind of wonder this morning if, if sometimes we find ourselves living under our old name. <laughs> like almost finding ourselves writing our old address. That we live under our old name and God says, oh, I will. Or I am. I'm changing your name. Trust. Right? Abram to Abraham. This idea of just being an exalted father of one, if you will, to a father of many. That's God's blessing. Uh, Jacob to Israel, this, this trickster to a name now that means wrestles with God, that, you know, he's encountered God is the meaning. Uh, this, this idea of Simon to Peter in the New Testament, you know, this idea of your, your name's no longer Simon, we're going to call you Peter. You're going to be the rock. And if you remember in, the, uh, in this, the interchange after Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus asked him, Simon, do you love me? See what he's calling him? Do you hear what he's calling him? Simon, do you love me? Jesus, you know I do. Simon, do you love me? He's trying to drive a point he went back to his work, he went to his old address, and he took on his old name. My question to you this morning, friends, has your name changed? Has your name changed from not loved or not my people to loved and you are my people? God wishes to grace you with a new name. So let me ask you, what is your name? Now you may say, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what that name is. Revelation 2.17 says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the, some of the hidden man. I will also give that person a white stone and a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Ah, oh, that he has written a new name over your life, over your heart, over your very being, just as, he re- just as he delivered a new name over Israel, he desires to do that. But I think one of the reasons we do not 
tune our ears to hearing our new name and to living into the ways instead of allowing the distractions of our daily culture to pull us into sin and disobedience is because we don't remind ourselves on a regular basis. We don't follow through in our lives of gratitude. That may be really simple, but I think it's one of the things that transpires in our lives. We forget to say, hey, thanks, God. Thanks. Thanks for what you've been doing in my life. Thanks for the grace you have given to me. I see you at work. One of the questions we ask, and was even asked this morning by Pastor Melanie, so where have you seen the love of God demonstrated to you in the last 24 hours? I think it's an apropos question because it gets right to the the heart of the answer. Where are you seeing? Where are you looking for God? Where are you thankful for him? See, it keeps us from this, keeps us from idolatry. When we keep our, our thankfulness and our gratitude quotient up, we can then go, oh, God's at work. Yep, I, I get it. It may not be my time, but it's, he's at work. He's doing a good thing. So let me suggest a couple of practices. And you may find it rather interesting, but I, I felt like the Lord was kind of like, no, gratitude's, gratitude is a place where it starts. It begins there, Right? We start in this place of saying, hey, thanks, God. Thanks for your love. If you don't journal and you are a journaler um, or you want to pick up a practice, pick up a practice of not just journaling everything, but journal your gratefulness or thankful. God, I'm thankful today for, and you write it out every day. Tune your heart to seeing God move in your life. I promise you, as you give thanks for what he's done, your prayers will be empowered for what you need and what he wants for you. Philippians 4 tells us that, actually. It's not me. That's scripture. So you can get in the practice of journaling. And then the other one that I would suggest is that uh, it's, it's always great and good to have the word of God when you sit down in quiet time. But some of us need to spend quiet time just settling our hearts in silence and in solitude to hear God speak to us. To allow the silence and the solitude of those moments to wash over us and his love to deliver us from the distractions that may lead us into temptation and sin. Into idolatry or adultery and infidelity. Mm. God's love pursued Israel. His love continues to pursue us today. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, I know that writing this message and contemplating and meditating on it brought back uh, what you did for me at first. The, the, the things that you you spoke to me, the, the way you allured me to you. And I pray this very morning that as we as we communally said that we would be reminded of that first encounter that we had with you. But that it would Not just stay in that first encounter that we said yes and began to follow you, but we would be reminded of your deep love for us in these moments. And then whether it be through journaling or it's through prayer 
or reading the word or a silence and solitude to allow the words, the singing of Jesus over us to wash over us. So, Father, you would continue to speak your loving kindness into us. That you would remind us that we are your children. We are your daughters and sons. That your love flows continuously and at times seemingly recklessly to us. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, maybe we need need to uh, re-engage those practices that allow us to experience God's love. For those of us this morning that may not know his love, he wants you to know his love. The love that lured you, allured you here this morning to hear this message of one who is wishing or who commends a prophet to do something really crazy. Something we wouldn't even do with a son and daughter. He wishes to wishes you to know that message is for you. And if you have yet to say yes to Jesus, you can pray this prayer or pray your prayer. Say, Yes, Lord, I'm ready. You can pray this prayer, Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus, the one who lived out the reckless love. Save me and forgive me for my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow, love, and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we are eternally grateful for your love for us that pursued us. Father, may we, may we love you back.